Well, good morning to you. Uh, in light of the song we just sang, uh, speaking of the resurrection, uh, Monty, our other teaching pastor, his mom uh, is resurrected now. She went to be with the Lord on Tuesday morning, and uh, Monty is not with us, and so certainly be praying for him. I spoke with him briefly this morning, and I watched their service yesterday. It was a was a was really really good. So. It's hard to lose a parent. She was 80, uh, but no matter their age, it's hard to lose a parent. So certainly be praying for him. In light of that, uh, we have a video from Monty. It was already prepared, but it will be especially good to hear from him, and it will bring us in some ways up to date um, about why we're going to do what we're going to do this morning and next Sunday. So take a listen. <clears throat> hey, Fellowship family. About a year ago, we set out on another leg of our journey with Christ as a community of faith. Specifically, it was phase two of our uh, campus master plan at 4236 Veterans Parkway. Now this was far more than just a facility expansion. We have been asking God to help us make room for the mission of God in our lives and on our campus. Now this is a discipleship journey, not just facility funding. We're actually looking for spirit-led transformation. As challenging as it has been, this COVID pandemic has been a spiritual greenhouse for our personal growth. We've had to trust God in big ways during a time of trial instead of a time of ease. We've had to earnestly evaluate our priorities that's been really good for us individually and as a church. And we've renewed our hearts for this campus to be common ground for connected lives. That's actually how we referred to this piece of property when God entrusted it to us in 2014. Our prayer was that this sacred space would be a place where we could do three things. First of all, it would be a place we could cultivate the common ground that we have with one another as members of the body of Christ. Secondly, that we would share common ground with our neighbors throughout the city of Murfreesboro. And lastly, that this would be a place where we could be equipped to find common ground with people who are far from God. And you know, it's been all of that. Uh, actually, in 2018, we began to see that it was time for our facility to grow to match the growth of our community of faith. Little did we know, we needed additional space far more than we ever imagined. As we launched our Deep Roots initiative in January 2020, COVID was just emerging on the other side of the world. Many of you will remember the very Sunday that we were gathering to bring our pledges for the project. We discontinued our live worship gathering and began meeting virtually through our live streams. We honestly began to wonder if we should move forward with the project. But you guys as a church, as a community of faith, you gave us a loud and clear resounding yes. So we took a step of faith, we went to our builder and said we're ready to get started. And honestly looking back it's really hard to imagine not having all of the additional space uh, that we have today for ministry. Though our facility has changed, and certainly for the better, 
our mindset about our facility hasn't changed. We continue to think about it as a home base for ministry, a custom tool for the mission. Now with that in mind, I, I want you to think about something. We gather to scatter and we scatter to gather. Let me tell you what I mean. We gather in corporate worship gatherings and a number of other uh, times during the week in order to honor Christ, to rehearse the gospel to ourselves, and to be equipped to share our faith. Then from that, we scatter across the street, around the world, to tell others about our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then those people that we encounter, we invite them to gather with us so that they can witness the love of Christ that we show one another when we're together. We gather to scatter and we scatter to gather. So with that in mind, Jeff and I look forward to celebrating this deep roots season that we have been in for a year. We also look forward to renewing our commitment to making room for the mission of God in our lives and on our campus in the days ahead. That's certainly a summary of where we're going to be going this week and next Sunday. But I think maybe my favorite part of that video was Miriam Walsh, our women's pastor, preaching. Did you see her <laughs> preaching in the hallway? Miriam, I'd love to hear what you were saying, but I know you were quoting the scripture. So that was fun. Well, uh, as I said, this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to take a break from teaching through the book of Luke. I think we're in our 11th year now doing that. And uh, we're going to revisit and remind ourselves of the deep roots, making room for the mission of God journey that we started a year ago. Now, when I tell you that, you, you, your first thought still may be this, why? Why are we doing deep roots again? Why in the world are Jeff and Monty bringing up this deep roots again? Didn't we already do the deep roots thing, right? Uh, well, I mean... We got an addition. It's back there, 8,000 square feet of beautiful space. And uh, why in the world they're bringing it up? Well, maybe Monty and Jeff have some kooky fetish with roots. You know what I mean? They just, they in the roots, all kind of roots. Maybe, as I found out this week, there is actually a car insurance company called Roots Incorporated. I think this is their branding. Hello? I gave it to you. Uh, still not there. So anyway, I actually there's a there's a car company, and what they do is uh, you download their app. They somehow track your driving, and after a month or so, they give you rates based on how you drive. Roots Incorporated. So maybe Jeff and Monty own stock in that company, and they're trying to get fellowship on board, so they'll make more money off their stocks. No, that's not true. Asking why, though, is a legitimate question. But the reality is, we told you the answer a year ago. Some of you didn't believe us. The reality is, Monty just told you the answer. But you may not connect the dots. Here's the drum roll. Give me a drum roll. Ready? The, thank you. The reason is, deep roots was not transactional, transactional in nature. It, it wasn't this, this contract we had. We need a space. 
You give money, we build the space, Deep Roots is over. No, Deep Roots was and is transformational. Deep Roots is something we ask God to do. Deep Roots is something that God always wants to do in his people. Deep Roots was and is always bigger than an addition to our existing building. Deep Roots is about making room, as Monty said, both for the mission of God in both our lives and the physical room that we needed. To have one without the other really hinders the mission. The big idea was and is when our hearts are right, our feet are swift. When our hearts are right with Christ, then we move toward whatever is needed to accomplish the mission. It's the easiest movement we have, but the heart must be right first. I read Howard Hendricks' quote this week, said one of the great killers in Christians is this statement, I already know that. And the reason is the mark of spiritual maturity is not how much you know, but how much you actually use of what you know. So we want to apply deep roots. We started the journey a year ago, and we want to continue to make sure we are applying it both in our lives and in this facility expansion. We really do want to be a church who are being transformed in such a way that we are continually growing and making room for the mission of God. Now, having said that, I don't know if there's a better scripture. I'm sure there are, more, there are equal scriptures, but there may not be a better scripture to look at this whole idea of biblical transformation as a believer than two simple verses in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Matter of fact, I want you to read with me as I read that verse out loud. Therefore, let's start again, okay? Thank you. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Small but profound and we're going to unpack that this morning as we look at making the room for the mission of God in our lives. This passage starts out with this little phrase, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, if you know something about Bible study skills, if not, I'm going to teach you this morning. Anytime in Scripture you see the word therefore, you immediately ought to have some kind of alarms going off asking the question, therefore what? And to find out the question, therefore what, you always look back at the previous verses. In our case this morning, we look back to not a few verses, but to the whole chapter of Colossians 1, all the way through the first five verses of chapter 2, where Paul gives us this long introduction that leads up to the climax and the big idea of the whole book, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. In that introduction, in those verses, Colossians 1, first five verses of chapter 2, there's sort of three big truths that lead us to the therefore. Paul, first of all, in verses 3 through 14, 
And it'll be a great book for you to read this week, or chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 3, 14, Paul is ecstatic of what God is doing in the lives of the Colossian church who had been taught the gospel by this guy Epaphras, who Paul had actually led to Christ when he was doing ministry in Ephesus. And, and, and in that, Paul says, why? why is he ecstatic? Because he says, you, Colossian church, you, because the Epaphras taught you, have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Paul is ecstatic out of his mind. Secondly, in this long introduction, Paul wants the Colossian Christians to realize the magnitude and the significance of who it was, who it was that changed their eternal destinies and identities. He writes these words in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, and in him all things hold together. Paul is drilling in their hearts. Folks, that is who lives in you now. Thirdly, Colossians 1.24 through 2.5, Paul, because of all God has done in Jesus, he says, it is my pleasure and delight to suffer on your behalf, Colossian church. He says, I rejoice in laboring and struggling. Why? Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3 tells us. So you can reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I want you to experience all of that. And my suffering is worth it. So you can know this person, Christ. So therefore... As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, the one who changed your eternal destiny, the one who created everything and in whom all wisdom and treasures of the world is found, Colossians, he is to be preeminent in your life now that you're a Christ follower. Because when you get that right, everything else that's God-honoring flows from that. Paul is basically saying, to live this way, though, you must make room for the mission of God in your lives. Now, how do you do that? He tells us in the rest of Colossians 2, 6, and 7. He tells us first by saying, walk. Christian living is about walking. So walk in him. Walking here in Christ is a command to be like the one who lives in you. And the power to walk in Christ, to do this, is wholly dependent on who it is that you are walking in, in him. And he uses this phrase, in Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul is saying here to the Colossians, you just didn't receive some information you just didn't receive some philosophy. You just didn't receive some good advice. You received a person. 
you receive the person who created everything and has existed before the world existed. You receive the living God and his name is Christ Jesus the Lord. Before you received Christ Jesus the Lord, Paul is saying, you were relying on and trusting in yourself. After you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, you are now to walk in him in such a way that you are relying and trusting in him alone. That name Christ Jesus the Lord tells us that you and I cannot decide who Christ is on our own accord. That phrase is only used, I think, one other time in the whole New Testament. That title that describes him tells us who it is. He's not one of many. He's not just a good man. He is what Colossians 1 says he is. And I wrote in the message, you can look at your notes this morning. I used the message because it was earthy. And I'm going to start here a few sentences down to tell you who that is. I'm going to start with God rescued us. God rescued, rescued us from the dead in alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the son he loves so much. The son who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence, and he holds all of it together right up until this moment. He was supreme in the beginning. And leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to the end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. Paul says that is who you are to walk in. And then if you're asking the question, well, what does it look like to walk in Christ? Just flip over and go to chapter 3. That's a great summary of what it means to make room for the mission of God walking in Christ Jesus. Mark that down for your personal reading this week. The second thing Paul does to tell us how to make room for the mission of God in our lives is he talks about Christian growing. And he uses these two words, rooted and built up. He's talking about Christian living is a process, and that process is called Christian growing. He's saying no one receives Christ Jesus the Lord and grows into Christ's likeness instantly. He talks about that in other passages. There's no such thing as coming to receive Christ Jesus the Lord and taking off like a rocket ship, and the next day you are like Christ. Can we all identify with that? Amen. Yeah. Charles Wendall, years ago, remember him describing it as three and a half steps forward and two and three quarter steps back. The biblical word for Christian growing is sanctification. It means it is to be set apart from sin through justification, which is at the point we place our trust in Christ, which enables one then who has received Christ Jesus the Lord to be on a steady journey to be set apart from their daily sins. It is a progressive disconnect 
from sin. Christian growing is a process. You and I receive Christ Jesus the Lord, and at that moment we are declared righteous in Christ. And then Christ, through the Spirit of God that indwells you, begins the process of making you righteous in your attitude, actions, character, and conduct. The Reformers put it this way. Their motto was always changing, always making room for the mission of God. It never stops, always growing and changing. We put it this way at fellowship. We say a long obedience in the what? Same direction. And then Paul uses, as I mentioned, these two metaphors. One is a tree, and the other is a building. He's saying no one grows into the likeness of Christ Jesus the Lord unless their foundation is strong. Just as a tree relies and depends on its roots in order to grow big and bear fruit, just as a building relies and depends on the foundation to stand upright and strong, the one who has received Christ Jesus the Lord is to rely on and depend on Christ Jesus the Lord because he is enough. Paul wrote this book to the church, or this letter to the church of Colossians. You know why? Because outside influences had begun to come in. And they were telling these new believers, the church was only six years old at this point. They were telling these new believers, Christ is good, but he's not enough. You need human wisdom. You need some philosophy. You, you need some legalism. You need some rituals. You need some traditions. And Paul writes and says, no, because of who he is. That's why he said who he is in Colossians 1. Christ is enough. Paul is saying here, the receiving of someone who is so significant, so glorious, so magnificent, means that I not only can depend on him for my actual existence, my breathing and my heartbeat, until he decides to take me home, but I can depend on him for growing in Christ's likeness. I put all my bets there. I go nowhere else. If those who receive Christ Jesus the Lord are like a tree, then my roots need to be deep and wide in him. If those who receive Christ Jesus the Lord are like a building, then my foundations need to be deep and wide in him. That's why those who receive Christ Jesus the Lord are have a posture of humility that cries out to Christ Jesus the Lord. Let me show you a couple of pictures just to, just to drive something in our brains. This is the picture of what it means to be rooted in him. That tree with a couple little sprigs would be like many trees I see in the turkey woods every spring after a big rain and wind. Massive tree on the ground. Not that tree. Secondly, I want to add a little icing to this cake and show you this picture. Now you're talking about a tree that's rooted. Not only does it have deep and wide roots, but they're joining together. And that's called together is better. 
When you're in a church and you're in a community of faith where everyone is deepening and widening their roots in Christ and then coming to each other to encourage more deepening and widening in Christ, those trees aren't falling over. They're strong no matter what life brings. And then thirdly, this is, I thought this was interesting. The foundation of the Empire State Building. Folks, it is huge above the ground, but it is huge below the ground. That's the picture that Paul is giving here. Christ Jesus the Lord is the only soul and only foundation in which you can grow into Christ's likeness. Paul is saying to the church at Colossians, he is saying to you and I, don't look elsewhere. It's not there. And if there's anything in our culture today that's screaming at you through the week, it is there are other places for you to find deepening and widening and maturity and wisdom in Christ. Paul's saying it's not there. It's in him. Lastly, Paul. Paul says we need Christian understanding. The word there is established. He's saying you got a tree with deep roots is established or strong. You have a building with a deep foundation is the same. This established, now that you've been walking in him for years, rooted in him and built up in him, here's what it produces. It produces a Christian who is established in the faith. Has this idea of maturity, wisdom. Godly insight, steady, enduring, reliable, substance, immovable, dependable, resolute, unwavering, single-minded, years and years and years and years and years of walking in him, being rooted in him and being built up in him produces one who is established in the faith. And folks, that's not perfection. What it is is maturity. You want to be mature? Paul says it's in Christ Jesus the Lord. And there's a byproduct here. Don't miss the last few words. Here's what it produces. Thanksgiving or bountiful Gratitude, a heart that is overflowing with gratitude, that there is the God of the universe that indwells each person who receives Christ Jesus the Lord, and he is constantly at work to grow you and I in such a way that we are making room for the greatest mission and purpose in the history of the world. Paul says, there's great gratitude there. So, now that we sort of took a look, quick look at what does it mean to make room for the mission of God in our lives, let's look at an application of that truth. Let's be reminded how we made room for the mission of God in our own church, home, or facility. Making room for the mission of God here at Fellowship. Now, Let's go back a couple years, 2018, 2019. Here's what we did as we, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, surveyed or looked at where we were as a church. 
we acted on what we knew concerning our needs here in terms of facility expansion. But what we didn't know is what God didn't know, as Monty said in the video, and that is COVID was coming. And we needed more space than we even knew. I think that's pretty funny. I, I want to see that when I get to heaven, that all. I want to see that video. God, pull that out, and you're leading us with this expansion, but you know COVID is coming. I want to see how all that works. So let's take a quick look at why did we do it. Four quick reasons. One, our custom tool was the mission. For the mission was becoming a limitation. We felt that. We think of our church family and facility like a potted plant. I'll mention that in a minute. Our ministry roots begin to bump into the edges of this facility itself. And we felt an urgent need to deepen our roots by expanding our container. So here's the picture we use. It's one of a potted plant. And we know when you, a plant is stunted when it outgrows its pot right? We felt that. That's exactly what we feel. We needed a bigger pot. Now, a quick reminder of what did we do? What did we do? First thing we've done, and you've walked in it, you've seen it hopefully, is 8,000 square feet of additional multi-generational, multi-purpose space. Most of this space was for our children's ministry the borough. We needed that, and we got that accomplished. We also have a mid-sized gathering space where you can do the, the borough in the morning. They're already using it for power-up. We gather all the kids together, regeneration on Tuesday night. Typically on Tuesday night, we couldn't have anything else in this church because of the safety and um, uh, that needs to be with those in the regeneration program, and so now we can equipping seminars, youth, and we go on and on how we'll use that space. We needed something other than this space and small rooms. We need an additional entry to the borough because before COVID, that was like navigating the streets of New York City. And, uh, and so we have a, another entry to come in to alleviate crowding. We expanded our lobby space. We, as you see, we took our offices out. We expanded our lobby space. Hospitality to new folks because back in the day before that, a new person would come in. All they saw were talking heads, yap, 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 and about that much room to slip through. They couldn't even see the starting point desk. So now we have room to do that. Connection on Sunday mornings. And I've already seen it being used so fun the last few weeks of people having small groups there and meeting. And just so you know, my man Nick Humble will soon be putting in our coffee machine. There will be drugs available in, <laughs> in, the, in the name of caffeine. Phil Hernan, I know you're glad. So it's coming. Then we relocated office space in the reception areas. Put some of the new offices down, a new entry there so you can see Dawn uh, when you come in to our offices. And then maybe the greatest part of this whole thing was storage. Lord have mercy, storage. Uh, we got storage, folks. Now, look, if you like your house, it's going to fill up quick, right? You get an attic in a new house and you think, I got all this room and 
it fills up, so you, you build a barn and you get the picture. But right now we got storage. And then lastly, a catering and food prep staging area. We'll, we'll soon be having warmers and refrigeration uh, to do a lot of ministry stuff, especially to our uh, homeless gals that stay with us during the month. Other gatherings here uh, will have those places available. So really fun, isn't it, to see it come? We said we we're going to do that, and we did that. Lastly, why now? Why did, why did we decide to pull the trigger now? The first reason is significant population increase. We live in one of the fastest growing counties in America. Someone has said number 20 in the nation. Someone said number 25. We are growing, especially this side of town. Just when we moved here, there was no Kroger, no four-lane Veterans Parkway, all that was being built. You may remember I mentioned 2,500 housing units in the next two years within just a few miles of Fellowship Bible Church. If their average of 2.5 people per housing unit, that would be 6,250 people. Two years ago, when we thought about this, we sensed we needed a bigger pot. Our container had become too small. We thought if only 250 out of the 6,250 wanted to come to Fellowship Bible Church, guess what? There was no room in the pot. <laughs> we do not want to have no room for those God would bring to us. Secondly, we had numeric growth at Fellowship. We kept here in uh, the staff and ministry leaders and borough volunteers about the saturation of our current space. When we moved in 2014, we grew from 250 adults to over 500 adults, 120 to uh, kids to 180 or more, and then 50 to 100 teenagers. And what we realized, talking to some church experts, is this room holds 300 people. But at 240 people, guess what? It's 80% full. And you know what that is? Perception is reality. People come in on a Sunday morning, and they got 240, 50 people here, and what it feels full to them. And they're like, man, there's no room. So we wanted to address that. Crowded spaces. Monday, we have a school that meets here. Sunday through Thursday was basically full. Miriam Walsh and I were fighting. She always won for a uh, uh, meeting place for men and women's ministry. It just was full. And then signs of facility strain. Majority of our 9 a.m. classes in the borough had too many kids per square feet based on the state of Tennessee. So we were always navigating that. And I remember going back to see my wife work in uh, the, the uh, with the babies, good gracious, they'd be, there's so many babies in there, we got room for babies now. And then I think something we begin to hear and see is that new people would come, they would navigate the streets of New York City as they, they walked down the narrow hallway, they would finally find their way to these check-in places for their kids, they'd take their three kids back and they opened the door of the four-year-old class, and they, there they were, packed in like sardines. And they left their kids there, okay? But in that mother's mind, what did she think? 
nope, <laughs> I ain't coming back here, right? Man, we did not want that to happen. So, great stuff. There was a lid on our pot, and we're making the pot. We made the pot bigger. So, with the need to expand our facility being clear, we also recognize unashamedly that there was a financial component involved in making room for the mission of God. So it's a great way to sort of remind ourselves what does it mean to think biblically in this area. And to do so, we're going to look at making the room for the mission of God in our generosity. Now here's what I'd like for you to do. If you go to our website, you can go to the top homepage and it says Deep Roots. If you click on that and scroll down, you will see all seven sermons that we talked about. What does it mean to make room for the mission of God in our lives? And one of those sermons is called The Joy of Generosity. The Joy of Generosity. I want to really suggest you go back and listen to it. Not because I gave it, but because in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, those two chapters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, they are the most comprehensive chapters in the whole Bible of what it means to have biblical generosity with our finances. In the church of Corinth, or in that situation, it was a unique situation at the time about a need and about the people of God giving to that need. So that's unique, but the principles and truths about biblical generosity are for all times and for all people. And that's what Paul does in those two chapters. And, and basically, there were five truths about biblical generosity that we address. The first one is the poor Macedonians are a model of generosity, according to Paul. Some of the poorest people on the planet, in verses 1 and 2 of 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says, these Macedonians, they are a model of generosity. The second principle was the biblical generosity is motivated by grace. Verses 1, verses 7, verses 9. Eight times in those two chapters, the word grace is used. Grace was the driving motivator that made poor people generous. And Paul tells us that these radically generous poor Macedonians were abundantly joyful. And I submit to you, only God can do that. When you're poor and you give to the mission of God and you find great joy in it, only God and his mission is worth that. Thirdly, generosity always has an element of faith. Now, I want you to know this. It is not biblical to presume against God. And what I mean by that when it comes to our finances, and some churches will tell you this. This is abuse. They will tell you to write the check and trust God. They will tell you to write the check that you can't cash, but write it by faith. They will manipulate you. That's not biblical. But the Bible does teach we are to give based on what we've been given, proportional. And Paul does let us know that these Macedonians felt their generosity. They weren't just giving out of an abundance. They gave in such a way that it hurt a little bit. 
right? They felt that. John Piper puts it this way. We are to look at that example of the Macedonians and ponder what it would look like for you and I to give in that way. Fourthly, the fourth principle of biblical generosity. Generosity, it flows not from duty. It flows not from pressure. Verses 3, 4, and 8, Paul says biblical generosity flows from an eager heart. Yes, the grace of God was the motivating factor for the Macedonians to give generously. But they also, Paul tells us, had a passion to give. Matter of fact, Paul was trying to talk them out of it. No, you're poor. I know you don't have much. And they're like, no, 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 no. Don't you dare stop us, Paul. (laughs) Don't you dare try to take away our joy. We're all in here for the mission of God. Verse 4 says, they listen to this. They begged Paul to be a part of of this project that needed money for the Jerusalem Christians who were being persecuted, therefore had lost their jobs, lost their homes, and lost their places in society. They begged Paul. They begged. The word is privilege, for the privilege to give. One writer said the Macedonians were on a journey for joy via their giving. And then fifthly and lastly, and and maybe, maybe most important is that generosity is a distinctive mark of the walking, growing, and mature Christian. Man, if you didn't write that down, write that down. You want to know what it looks like to be a walking, growing, rooted, built up, established, mature Christian? You'll give generously. Verse 5 tells us, why did the Macedonians give more than was expected based on what they had? They didn't have much, but they gave more than what you would expect from someone who was poor. (laughs) Why? Verse 5 tells us, they first gave themselves to the Lord. We circled all the way back. To Colossians 2, 6, and 7. <laughs> Making room for the mission of God in our lives. They received Christ Jesus the Lord. They were walking with him intimately. They were being rooted and built up in him, and therefore they were established. They gave themselves to the Lord first, and out of that came the finances. They said yes to God, yes to the mission of God, way before they said yes to giving their money. The hard part, and you know this is true, and I know this is true from my own struggles in giving. The hard part is making room for the mission of God in our lives. Many times the easy part is writing the check. Far too often, we can get the order of these two things backwards. The typical roadblocks that you and I have and our justification to not give, things like unbelief, insecurity, pride, idolatry, desire for control, are destroyed 
when we first give ourselves to the Lord. That's just the way it works. It's true for you, and it's true for me. Obviously, we know, and we talked about this during our seven-week sermon we did on Deep Roots. Biblical generosity is about more than money. It's about giving away our time, our talent, our truth, and yes, our treasure for the mission of God. Yet, there was a treasure part when it came to expand this facility in order that the mission of God may go unhindered. And we addressed it, and I'm addressing it this morning because the reality is those who attend church on a regular basis give an average of 2.5%. That stat has held true for years. 2.5% of their income to the mission of God. So there is a need to equip believers in what it means to live with biblical generosity. And here's what happened. Deep Roots gave us a grand opportunity. Deep Roots gives us a grand opportunity. Deep Roots will give us a grand opportunity to walk in Him, to be rooted in Him, to be built up in Him, and to be established in Him in the area of biblical generosity. It gave us a chance to say, okay, do I really believe who Christ Jesus the Lord is? Do I believe that he's preeminent? Do I think that his mission is the most important thing? And part of saying yes to that is how we look at biblical giving. So we're revisiting that. My, I open the door. Monty's going to walk in the door and close it next week. But, folks, this is who we are as a church, making room for the mission of God in our lives, making room for the mission of God in our facility, and making room for the mission of God in our generosity. Good stuff, huh? That's what the church is, what the church always is supposed to be. So I want you to take a few minutes this morning and ask the question, so what? In light of what you've heard this morning, what application might you make? Don't be like Howard Hendricks says that says, I know that. I know that. No, how much are you using of what you know? Crucial. Take a minute to ask the question, so what?
Lord Jesus, <clears throat> we come to you as your people. Just rereading over and over this week, Colossians 1, where it talks about who you are, the firstborn of all creation. You existed before the world existed. You created the world. You hold it together. You hold our own existence together. You are the living God who left heaven and you came and shed your blood for the forgiveness of our sins. <clears throat> and then you brought us to yourself so that we would receive this person, Christ Jesus the Lord. No one has ever done that for us. No one will ever do that for us but you. And in you, all the wisdom and treasures and knowledge of this world are found. I pray, Lord, for myself first and for this body that each of us would deepen our roots and foundations in you that we would really look at our lives in, in good ways, healthy ways, and ask good but hard questions. Are we making room for the most important person in the world? The Lord Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus the Lord. Help us discern that. Help us make adjustments. Help us live in such a way that there are no regrets at the end. Because as Kevin said, we're all terminal here. We live for another world because of that. We love you. We're grateful for your word that instructs and encourages and gives us clarity in a world that is cloudy. Gives us clarity of what's important in the midst of our hearts being so prone to wander. We ask that in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen.